0: So, of all of the Bible studies that I've done in here, this is probably one of the ones where the bonus content on Wednesday night is more than anybody will get on Sunday. So, buckle up. Uh, We've got a lot of context, we've got a lot of geography, Uh, we've got a lot of content. And we're going to be mostly in John chapter 11 and 12, John 11 and 12. But because we're starting the new series, we got a lot of background to do. Now, uh, if you will email Betsy in the church office, Loring at dbc.org she will send you a PDF of this timeline that I found online and uh, printed. And uh, if you will, uh, uh, I, Gary also has it. If you want to uh, uh, email him, this is a decent timeline of Holy Week with the places and people that were involved. Now I say decent because there's, there's, a, there's some dispute over timeline and places and so forth and so on. We're going to be in John tonight, but I'm going to refer to some other places as well. So the series is called Destination Resurrection. And what we're trying to do with the series is to say that there were places that Jesus went in the last week of his life that were significant, both in the place itself, but also what happened there. So the place, the people, and the events, we're going to unpack those week to week. Now, let me give you some of the disclaimers. It's always challenging for preachers to do a series uh, that leads up to Easter, because most of what happens, happens in the last six days of Jesus's life. And that's between Palm Sunday and Easter. So I have to uh, uh, make you go back in time a little bit, because we won't do Palm Sunday until Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is the week before Easter, so we're going to have to cover some ground before then, but understand that everything that we will do in this series is in the last week of Jesus's life on earth. The, the last, uh, uh, six or depending on how you look at today, seven days of Jesus's life and that all of the gospel writers handle it a little bit differently. So, so just keep that in mind. Um, I planned this series with the understanding that I was going to go to Israel in February. I I thought I was going to have just been to Israel and been real excited because I was going to make sure I saw all these places and took pictures and took notes. But uh, that's going to have to wait until May of 2023. That's when we will go back to Israel looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a big trip. My brother from Alabama is going to join us. There's already 15 people from his church that want to come with us. So uh, you'll have two Jacksons to guide your trip. He's the younger and better looking. I'm the smarter. We'll just leave it at that. Um, But I thought about that whenever you go to Israel, it is a, it is a pilgrimage. You try to go to the places that Jesus went. You try to go to the places that have significance, whether old or new Testament. And there are places that you're not allowed to go anymore. And there are places that you're free to go. Uh, We don't get to go to Jericho anymore because it's in uh, occupied West bank. We don't get to go. um, We we get to go to Bethany, what we're talking about tonight, but it's also in Arab held uh, territory. And uh, so we go to these places and it's so exciting to, to go where Jesus went. And so I wanted to trace the places, the people and the events in the last week of his life. And that starts with a little village called uh, Bethany. Now, Bethany, first of all, let's do a little geography. If you are to look at a map of Israel, there are three water features that dominate the landscape. To the north is the Sea of Galilee, a small, relatively small lake that's fed by the Jordan River from the north. Uh, The Jordan River is the second it flows from north to south in Israel. And it flows from the uh, uh, base of the mountains that shed snow and the water that uh, populates the aquifer for the Jordan River down through Caesarea Philippi into the Sea of Galilee, out the southern end of Galilee through the Jordan Valley, eventually down to the Dead Sea. So you're, you're in a north-south. The Sea of Galilee is the, in the northern third of the country. The Dead Sea is in the southern third of the country, and the Jordan River connects the two. Jerusalem is much closer to the Dead Sea than it is to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, sometimes when we're talking about biblical stories, we're kind of, uh, because he spent so much time in Galilee, we tend to think Jerusalem is really close to there. But Jerusalem is south um, between the dead, the, the uh, Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, you have Jericho. And if you look at where Jericho is, it's right by the Jordan River, obviously, because when the uh, children of Israel led by Joshua, entered the promised land. They crossed the the Jordan River from east to west and uh, first attacked the city of Jericho. Jericho is also pretty close to Jerusalem, maybe about, uh, Jennifer help me, 12 miles away. But when the Bible says he went up from Jericho to Jerusalem, all we Americans think of a map and up is north, so Jerusalem must be north of Jericho. It's not. It's south and west, but it changes elevation by about 3,000 feet. Jerusalem is in the mountains. Jericho is at Uh, at sea level, at or below sea level. And so the elevation change between Jericho and Jerusalem is about 3,000 feet. Ephraim, another town that you're going to hear about tonight, was sort of north of Jerusalem and west of Jericho. And so uh, Ephraim was in what is called the Judean wilderness, not far from the a place called Qumran, which is famous for Dead sea, Scrolls. Dead sea Scrolls, and so all of that is near the Jordan, and if you've been to Israel before, I'm about to disappoint you, uh, the place where Jesus was baptized is very close to this, not up north where all the tourists get baptized. Uh, the tourists all get baptized at a place called Yardini because it's much cleaner, and it is the Jordan River, it's just not where Jesus was baptized. So that's the geography. Bethany was two miles east of Jerusalem. Now, the Bible presents it in a different way. It, it, it lists the distance with stadia and not miles. But two miles is a pretty important designation because two miles was what was the maximum distance allowed to walk on a Sabbath. And so if Jesus was going to go back and forth between the place where he usually spent the night and the Temple Mount where he did a lot of ministry, uh, if it was on a Sabbath, he would need to be close enough to, uh, to have a Sabbath's walk and not be a foul of the rules uh, for that. So Bethany uh, has a couple of different meanings. Uh, we're not really sure what the name of the town means. It can either mean uh, a place of abundant figs, which it was, or if you read the Hebrew, a little differently, it can be a place of misery or mourning, uh, a place of suffering. Now, back up a little bit. Did the Old Testament talk about the crucifixion? Yes. Yes. Lots. Uh, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. Question, did the Old Testament talk about resurrection? No. Uh, the, everything about the resurrection, if you try to find Old Testament prophecies that go with it, you're probably kind of backing into them. But the, the, the idea of resurrection was just not known. Uh, there there was uh the expectation that after death you you went to Sheol or you went to paradise or or something. There was not really a concept of resurrection. Um, obviously psalm twenty three and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There was a a sense of everlasting life. There just was not a thought of bodily resurrection that that emerged in New Testament times. And as you know, became quite a, a, a place of conflict between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. One of them believed in bodily resurrection. The other one didn't. So online, we have a, a question in the room. Uh, Greg asked, why do I think that there are so many prophecies about the crucifixion or the, that Jesus would be the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world? But very little uh, indication of uh, resurrection. Very, very few, if any, prophecies on resurrection.
1: Bob Harsh, you got any ideas about that? Well, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't think I can solve that for you. I know that you know what came to my mind when you were talking uh, was uh, that when when uh, Solomon's Solomon's son to Bathsheba died. He said that uh, he, he couldn't go where he is, but he would someday. But that doesn't mean he's going to get resurrected. It could be just a, uh, a spiritual body that yeah. could be inter- interpreted as that. And the reason I bring that up, Greg, is because
0: in the, in the scholarship about the resurrection scholars are really split about what really happened. Uh, Some modern progressive scholars argue that because the Old Testament didn't talk about resurrection, that resurrection was a a spiritual and symbolic state and not a bodily resurrection. And so it, it occurred to me to ask the question, why was the resurrection such a big deal? Paul made it a huge deal in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if, if not for the resurrection, all of our preaching is in vain. And, and some scholars think he was talking about a spiritual resurrection. I think he was talking about a bodily resurrection. I personally think that that was one of the things that separated the Old Testament message from the New Testament message. I think it was one of the things that that called us into a new place, a new way of thinking that God is doing a new thing, that in the Old Testament, he established a covenant with his people. He said, I will take care of you forever. You will be my God. I will be your people. Uh, you will be uh, my people. I will be your God. Uh, and in the uh, New Testament, we, we needed to place our trust in Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate, God in human flesh, God with a body. And so if he, uh, my thoughts, okay, Greg, just my thoughts, I think God did that so that we could understand it. I think that he told us, he, he instructed us to regard Jesus as fully human, and fully God, and so if he was going to be fully human, then to defeat death, we would need for that to be uh, uh, complete. We would need to see a resurrected body that that he had defeated earthly death, not just some kind of spiritual metaphor, and That's important because of what Martha says in the passage that we're dealing with today. She acknowledged the Old Testament prophecy. I believe I will see you at the last day. I believe I will see you in the final resurrection. I believe that all things, that that I will see my brother again. She wouldn't believe that he would be physically resurrected. And so between Lazarus's physical resurrection and Jesus's physical resurrection, I think that it's a way that God helps us to understand. We need that for us to fully embrace Jesus, fully human, fully divine. Right. So you know, Nelson says his small group is studying revelation. And the question there, if I understand it right, is at the last day at the return of Christ, is that a physical bodily return or a spiritual symbolic return. Yeah. I, I just, I, my 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 personal thought is that whenever he's on earth he's a body. That that when we need him to be a body, God lets him be a body. When we need him to be a spirit, God lets him be a spirit. The 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 father, the son and the holy spirit, God doesn't need those definitions to define himself. When asked to define himself, God just said I am. He defines himself with the verb to be. (laughs) And so when God defines himself with the verb to be, it's, it's, it's our understanding that brings about the father, the son, the Holy spirit, the bodily resurrection. Now, Nelson, you're kind of burying the lead because you know where the Bible says he's going to return, right? Yeah. Bethany, (laughs) this little town, this little nothing town that we're studying tonight it's at the top of the Mount of Olives, and it says that that's where Jesus will return to enter the city of Jerusalem from the
1: east. Resurrection, or was it a crucified in the flesh, and then it was he uh, was in the flesh, but in the spiritual resurrection? I'm
0: saying it was a bodily resurrection. I'm saying that the people who saw him understood it to be a bodily resurrection. Uh, he, he He did walk through walls, which is unusual, but... Uh, he, the people who saw him, understood it as a bodily resurrection. Yeah, scarred hands. He ate dinner with them. Bob, you had a thought.
1: Uh, I've been studying uh, in Acts recently, and uh, I've been interested in a few times it tells what Paul was preaching, and what came to me is almost every place. The thing that got people's attention was his teaching about the resurrection. Luke uh, goes out of his way, I think, to tell us about um, the resurrection. And of all places, even in Athens where they had the pantheists, not even Jewish people, uh, that was what he preached. It says in, right. in Acts 17, that's what, he preached the resurrection. And so I think to Paul and to Peter as well, uh, the preaching of the resurrection is what set Christianity, the, the Jesus that they followed, apart from every other religion.
0: We also have to remember, now let me, this is content you'll never get on a Sunday. Paul wrote much earlier than the Gospels wrote. So even though it's, it's... Paul's writings were much earlier than the Gospels, and so we, we try to think it's chronolog- chronological because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Well, 1 Corinthians was written a good deal before John's Gospel, and, and especially John's Gospel. It was the last one written, and so it doesn't surprise me that the gospel writers have a different view than Paul did. Number one, they were writing primarily as Jews centered in Jerusalem. Paul was writing primarily as an itinerant evangelist to the Gentiles. And most of what he wrote was either Greece or Turkey in terms of the, uh, the target of his uh, teaching. So, uh, the, the the timeline, it, it could also be that between the time that Paul wrote and the time that the gospel writers wrote, that, that some thoughts had changed. And it's also possible that as they did with many things in Jerusalem, the gospel writers wrote just a little bit in code because they were constantly under the threat of the Romans. Not so much in the outlying provinces where Paul was, but certainly in Jerusalem where the Romans had uh, very much of an interest in keeping a a lid on this Christianity stuff. All right, so back to the little village of Bethany. In uh, the scripture... It would call it Bethany and Bethpage. Those are two cities that are usually grouped together. And uh, uh, the, the, the scripture tells us that uh, six days before the Passover, he went there. Now, that wasn't the first time that he went there. In John's Gospel, and only in John's Gospel, we get the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. So, just to to keep the timeline straight, the resurrection of Lazarus took place earlier, and then there was an interlude where Jesus left the city of Jerusalem, went back into the Judean wilderness, And then he returned to Jerusalem, Bethany, just prior to the triumphal entry. So John chapter 11 tells us the story of Lazarus' resurrection. John chapter 12 tells us that he's back in Bethany for getting ready for the Passion Week. I don't know how much time separates these two events. It's not unusual for the gospel writers to cluster things that sort of wrap around a similar theme or a similar uh, set of events. You, you, we got to remember that the gospel writers were all writers. You know, they were they were writing a story so that we could understand it. And John's point of view, I've said this before in church. His point of view is different than the other gospel writers. Do you remember what I said about that? Matthew, Mark, and Luke want to tell us what happened. John wants to tell us why it happened. So John's uh, accounting of the events is always going to be from a, a perspective of this is what God was doing here. Here's how God was revealing this. And so it doesn't, it shouldn't surprise us that the other gospel writers, well, it surprises me a little bit. I'll go ahead and admit it. It surprises me a little bit that Matthew, Mark, and Luke left out the resurrection of Lazarus. That It seems like that would be a noteworthy event. <laughs> Remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written earlier than John. And one scholar suggested that it could be that they omitted that story because Lazarus was still alive that uh, they there, there was already an effort that we see here in John to kill Lazarus and just uh, put to rest any of this uh, stuff about resurrection. Uh, but uh, it could be that they were just protecting him. I, I don't know. That's speculation. So let's go back to John chapter 11. Let's work our way through that real quick and uh, and set up chapter 12. Uh, chapter 12 is where I want to be mostly on Sunday, but uh, we've got to deal with chapter 11.
1: Uh,
0: chapter 11, verse 1. A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So these were three siblings, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. <clears throat> we kind of think they all live together that that seems to be what the scripture points to but we're not sure. Then John does what John does occasionally. He gets something out of order because he wants to make sure we understand the context. So he says in chapter 11 verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was here. That's a a parenthetical note that that hasn't happened yet but it had happened before john wrote it down so all of the readers would be aware that it happened but chronologically in our it hasn't happened yet he does the same thing let's let's cheat just a little bit look over at john chapter 12 verse 4 after Mary anoints Jesus' feet, there's another parenthetical note that John puts in there. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, well, that had not happened yet. We, we haven't even had the triumphal entry yet. So he, it, it gives us this parenthetical note so that John keeps us focused on why stuff happened and not just what happened. He wants to make sure that we know which Mary he's talking about because apparently her story of extravagance and that's that's going to be the central part of the sermon on Sunday. He he wanted to make sure we know which Mary we, he was talking about. Now, there's another reason perhaps he did that. Anybody got a thought? Luke gives us another story of a woman who anointed Jesus's feet with perfume and wiped it with her hair. It's way back in Luke chapter 7, and it presents her as a sinful woman. A lot of people think that was Mary Magdalene. Now, again, speculation as to why Luke includes that story and not this story, why John includes this story and not that story— why Luke's story is different from Matthew, Mark, and John. Uh, All speculation and all unnecessary. There was a woman who demonstrated this extravagance to her. Luke portrays her much early in Jesus's ministry as a sinful woman. John and the others present her as Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. Uh, much later in Jesus's ministry. And so he tells us who she is. The sisters sent for Jesus. Apparently he was near, likely in the wilderness, Judea wilderness, um, said uh, Lazarus is sick. Jesus said to the disciples, this illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God might be glorified through it. Again, The why, not the what. This was a sickness to death. By the time Jesus decided to go to Jerusalem, Lazarus was dead. And so he's saying this is the the beginning of the end. This, This is to let you guys know what's out there, what's on the horizon. The glory of God will be revealed in that you will know that I have power over life and death. That's the message that John wants us to have in 11 and 12. It, it, that's why he grouped these two stories together. He, he wanted me to have something to say at five funerals this week. He wanted me to be able to say, uh, it, it, we grieve, we, we are sad when a 90-year-old woman goes to be with Jesus, but we have the hope of resurrection so we rejoice that she can go and be with Jesus and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, so the fact that resurrection, it, it, it gives us some handles to hold on to. When we, when we uh, uh, said goodbye to Jane Autry today, all of us in the room were, were thinking in terms of her bodily being in a different place. Now, we don't know what body, bodies in heaven are like. I'm hoping I'm going to be a lot skinnier. We don't, we don't know what bodies in heaven are like, but Jesus gave us this, this solid idea. He, he gave us this, this illustration, this example, so that we can wrap our minds around what it is to live after this life in another life. I, I firmly believe that, Greg, to your point, that a whole lot of what bodily resurrection is about is helping us humans understand the infinity of God, that, that his greatness would be beyond our comprehension if it weren't for a few little breadcrumbs that he leaves us so that our human minds can even begin to comprehend. But that's another sermon. Kathy, are you asking a question or have I blown your mind? Okay. <laughs> Just, she was pointing at her head like her head hurt. And I understand that. Okay. So, little interlude between chapter uh, 11, verse 5, and uh, um, when he went to uh, uh, Bethany, uh, it it tells us a little bit about the relationship between Jesus, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, probably explains why he uh, most often, when he was near Jerusalem, he stayed at their house in Bethany, Uh, The disciples said, uh, hey, I'm I'm not sure it's time to go to Jerusalem. They're trying to kill you there. He says, uh, well, let's go anyway. And uh, Thomas ends that section in verse 16 by saying, let us go that we may die with him. So then in 17, Jesus gets to Bethany. And it tells us again, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, uh, 15 stadia. Uh, a Passover walk, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So it was a pretty big crowd. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. So she went out on the road. Uh, I don't know what road it was. Perhaps it was the road up the backside of the Mount of Olives. Uh, we, we don't know, but but she met him on the road, And she said, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, she wasn't talking about resurrection. She was talking about, I have seen him heal people. Okay, I I have seen him uh, uh, circumvent death. I don't have any experience in him bringing people back from death. So she said, you've been here, he wouldn't have died. And he said, probably the most important statement here." uh, She said, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And here we go, Greg. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So in the New Testament, they had begun to give voice to whatever it was the Old Testament was talking about when it said, uh, the Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They, they were beginning to give voice to that, and they were calling it resurrection. And so she had a, a, a faith, a, a belief in that kind of resurrection. She said, I get it. He's going to be with us. We're all going to be together one day in paradise. And Jesus said, no, I'm the resurrection. Don't, don't put your faith in a place, a far away uh, possibility. Put your faith in me. Whoever believes in me, though he die, let yet he shall live. I, I think Jesus is building on her understanding. And quite frankly, that's our understanding. We, we, we have a lot easier time grasping what Martha was talking about than bodily resurrection. So he says, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She kind of dodges this question. I'm the resurrection and the life. Lazarus is going to live. Do you believe that? And she's still talking last days. Another little interlude of the story. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private I won't go into that most people think that Martha was just saying to Mary if you want some time with him before the crowds get there you better go now and so it was sort of a nice gesture on the part of a sister and then the sister said the same thing the other sister said she went out there and uh, uh, Mary rose quickly went out they followed her when Mary came to Jesus she said the same thing her sister said. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus is now troubled because they are troubled. You know, we often weep at funerals, even if we don't know the person very well, because we see how much that person meant to the friends and relatives that are there. We, we see the, and, and Jesus saw how troubled Mary was, how troubled Martha was. And even though he knew what he was going to do, he was troubled because of their sorrow. And I'm going to add an Allen footnote here. So Bible scholars, leave me alone. I think he was also troubled with their unbelief. I think he was troubled with their lack of ability to grasp what God was trying to teach them. Because right after that, the most famous and most memorized verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, somebody quote it for me.
1: Jesus wept.
0: Good job, Gary. You're a doctor in waiting. I'm a scholar. <laughs> Jesus wept. Why was he weeping? Was he sad because of Lazarus? Yes. Was he sad because of Martha and Mary? Yes. Was he sad because they don't get it? Yes. Was he sad because we don't get it? Yes. Don't don't miss that he wept for a purpose. He, He wasn't just randomly tearing up. So the Jews said, see how he loved them. Okay. I have a thought. Occasionally. I wonder if when Jesus wept, he didn't glance over at the city of Jerusalem. Have you ever seen a picture from a group that was in Jerusalem? It's always taken at the same place. You're on the top of the Mount of Olives. The dome of the rock is in the background, that gold dome. Your your people are all in rows and you've got the panoramic view of the city of Jerusalem behind them. You've seen those pictures. There's two in my office. That's where Bethany is. And I wonder if Jesus sort of looked at the city of Jerusalem. He'd wept over it before. I wonder if part of it was a very sorrowful week is about to unfold a very tough week is about to unfold and the don't get it of mary and martha hardly compares to the don't get it of the people in jerusalem they're going to they're going to welcome me as a savior marching in uh, on palm sunday and by friday they're going to have me hanging on a cross i wonder Now, that's pure speculation. That is the Allen commentary on this passage, and you need to leave me alone. Okay. So, Scripture tells us that he wept. Some of them said, wait a minute. Can't he have kept this man from dying? They're still not thinking bodily resurrection. So, then it gets interesting. Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave. And Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. Now, pragmatic Martha. You remember Martha, the busy one? Mary was the one who just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. Pragmatic Martha. She said, been in there four days. That's not going to smell good. You're. We, we're not even exhuming a body that's decomposed. We're we're opening the tomb where the gases have built up and the, uh, the, the stench is going to roll out of there like an atom bomb. And uh, he says, just open it. Then I tell you that if you believed you'd see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. What a loaded statement. And nobody smelled anything. (laughs) Jesus lifted up his eyes. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. You always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around. And then he said, Lazarus, come out of there. Then the man who died came out and unbind him and let him go. All of that took place at Little Bethany. Pause. On Sunday, I'm going to ask us what we need to learn from these stories at Bethany. What do do we need to learn that, that pierces our hearts? I know what I needed to learn this afternoon. I needed to reaffirm in my spirit that God is still a God of miracles. I need to confess that sometimes my faith is more like Martha and Mary. Okay, I believe in the big picture, God. But I don't see you doing miracles. I don't see you sparing the people of Ukraine. I don't see you doing the things I want you to do. You, If you'd have been here, they wouldn't have. If you'd have been here and that, that, that I, I need to learn from this story that my faith needs to believe in miracles again. I need to believe that that person who's far from God will come near. I need to believe that that person who who needs to know Jesus and who we say would never, ever, ever, ever come to them, that they will. We need to see the stories of redemption, the stories of healing. I need to believe, God, that people will be healed. So, obscurity and miracles and a place of expectation. Look at John eleven forty, 40, and we'll, we'll move on from here. John eleven forty. 40. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I, I don't know what the spiritual climate of their home was, but I know they always were ready to receive Jesus. I know that they believed in the things that he taught. I know that they, that to the best of their ability, they had a spiritual readiness for Jesus to do miraculous things. I don't know if they fasted. I don't know if they prayed. But what we see in Bethany is that the people of the town were expecting something. They said, if you'd have been here, couldn't a guy who opened the eyes of the blind keep him from dying? There was this expectation this this spirit of jesus is about to do something now they had no idea what he's going to do i think that most of us who have testimonies that are uh not the i grew up in a christian home we we are absolutely astounded that god managed to get us to himself but we believe in miracles and we need to expect them all right I'm moving too slow, aren't I, Gary?
1: It's later than it's ever been before.
0: Okay, thank you for that. <laughs> Let's look at uh, the 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 opening section of chapter twelve, and uh, and and we're we're back in Bethany, but we we had an interlude, according to John, in eleven fifty four, because of the. Um, reaction to lazarus's resurrection and the fear among the religious leaders that uh jesus would become more popular than them and if you read between the lines you see that their popularity and their position is what they're trying to hold on to at uh, one point uh uh caiaphas the the high priest said it's better that one man die uh for the people than that the entire nation die and he was of course referring to the Romans disrupting their way of life. But uh, so Jesus went away to the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And that was due north of Jerusalem, uh, out of the mountains, down towards the Dead Sea, uh, but not as far east as Jericho. The point is that he got away from the, the crowd. He got away from the immediate pressure. But in 12, he comes back to Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came back to Bethany, where Lazarus was, present tense, was, not had been before he died, because Jesus raised him from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Um. I'd probably connect those two statements that they didn't get a chance to fully celebrate that, uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead. So they were going to give him a party. Um, a lot of people, because of something that was said in the other gospels think that this was not at the home of Mary and Martha, but at the home of Simon the leper and that maybe he was Martha's husband Or maybe he was just a close friend because Martha is the host in the story, but it's it doesn't really present itself as being at her house. That's irrelevant to anything. It's just interesting. So Scripture says that Lazarus was one of those reclining at a table. Mary, therefore, took a pound, which Mary John made sure we knew who it was back in 11. Which Mary? Mary took a pound of expensive ointment. In your mind, think about how much money you make in a year. This is on everybody's mind. You're about to do your taxes if you haven't already. You had to fill in a little box that said, this is how much money I made this year. That number is what this perfume cost, that number. It was a year's worth of wages for this pound of spikenard is what they call it. I it, it's not really known what that was. Uh, perfume was a, um, a commodity. That's why it was kept in jars. Uh, the um, in, in Luke chapter seven, it says that the woman broke the bottle. So that was uh, a sign that it was only supposed to be used once. That's why we think this might have been a different incident is because a pound is a lot. And so you would have used some, put it back in the bottle. Times got hard. You could sell it. It was a, a, a marketable commodity but she used the whole pound on him. Watch what she did. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So much there, and pretty much that's about all we're going to have time for. Look at the nature of her gift. Bethany was a place of humble extravagance. How long has it been since we push humble extravagance towards God. Jesus is reclining at the table. This is during the meal. This is not after the meal. Usually the the pleasantries took place after the meal. This happened during the meal. She interrupted the meal. Her, her, Her message was so urgent. She interrupted the meal. She was a Jewish woman. We don't know if she was married or not, but when a Jewish woman came of age, her hair was put up and it was never taken down again in public. Uh, The way that you wear your hair would never be done by a Jewish woman. It it was considered to be a a sign that she was uh, available for a man. She was unmarried. Uh, or even that she was immoral. And so the fact that she took her hair down to wipe his feet, it was, she She, she didn't care what people thought. Her, her gift to her Lord was extravagant. It was humble. It was uh, unselfish. It was uh, oblivious to the opinions of others. And when I put those factors on the things that I bring before Jesus, I got to tell you, I come up short a lot. And yet we see this in this little obscure place where miracles happened. we have to ask ourselves about the nature of our giftedness. All right. Um, Let me wrap up. Uh, We will see Bethany one more time in the scripture. Um, Acts chapter one, when Jesus ascends, um, according to Luke, it happened at Bethany. This little bitty obscure town, a place where miracles happened, a place where faith was in expectation a place where we have this example of um, extravagant humility or humble extravagance depending on how you want to look at it all this happened in this little town and yet in the prophecy of Zechariah fourteen four, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. When Jesus returns, he will start his march to the holy city right there. He will walk across the Muslim cemetery that they put there thinking that a rabbi can't walk through a cemetery. He will proceed through the beautiful gate on the eastern side of Jerusalem that the Muslims have filled in with concrete thinking that that's going to keep him out and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he will return. All right, let's call it a night. what you think? We'll have more on Sunday. I promise. Questions? We're absolutely sure that that wasn't Mary Magdalene. We think maybe it wasn't Luke, but John makes it very plain that she's, we don't think that Mary, because Mary of Magdala was a a region, a different part. The question was, are we absolutely sure that this isn't Mary Magdalene? Uh, Mary of Magdala was around the Sea of Galilee just a little bit. It was in the Galilee region. Uh, Mary is clearly from Bethany which is in the south towards Jerusalem, right by Jerusalem. So I, she did this thing with her I think it's the same thing twice. I, I personally think it's the same thing twice uh, because the stories are too different. Um, and, and the same message is, is given. We, we don't know enough about Mary sister of Martha and Lazarus to know uh if she in any way could be equated with the sinful woman of of luke 7 we we just don't know uh but what we do know is that two different women two different marys anointed his feet with their perfume right you know which which was in jerusalem yeah so it's quite possible that mary could have been here but uh, John makes sure we think it's. He, he goes out of his way to make sure we know which Mary it is. In Luke chapter seven, um, Luke has a different take on it. I've always sort of debated that. Oh yeah, me too. Um, in Luke, yeah, Luke seven thirty six. Uh, they were eating at the home of a Pharisee, so the location is different. A woman of the city who was a sinner, so um, uh, he is still in Galilee. He's, he's not yet in the south, um, brought an alabaster flask of ointment as opposed to a pound of spikenard. Uh, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, anointed them with the ointment. And the word alabaster flask there is the word that's used for a, a, a container that has to be broken in order to be used. Um, and so there, there's a lot of differences, but again, John was not concerned with the order of things, and it may have been that John decided to embellish a little bit here, but we don't have any indications that that's the case. We think that there were two incidents because they're so different in their descriptions.